City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. There's a reason why false teachers can be so attractive to people. Why? Note this. It's because they appeal to fleshly desires. That's their appeal. See, false teachers tend to offer people a religion in which they can do, frankly, whatever they want to do, even sexual misconduct. Notice some of the things Peter says about false teachers in his second letter, which is all about false teaching and false teachers. In 2 Peter 2, verse 2, we read this. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Now, first of all, Peter describes false teachers as being popular in the sense they have many followers. He says many will follow. And why are these men so popular? What is it about their teaching that attracts so many people? Well, Peter says that many will follow their sensuality, meaning that these false teachers not only tend to practice sexual immorality themselves, but they teach immorality as an acceptable lifestyle to their devotees. It's time for another verse-by-verse radio program with Pastor Steve Kreloff. As we continue in the series, A Faithful Shepherd Says Farewell, Pastor Steve is going to continue with the admonition the Apostle Paul gave to the Ephesian elders. Paul already has encouraged them to watch out for themselves, shepherd the flock. Now he warns them to be on the alert for false teachers. There would be predators who would prey on the flock with teachings contrary to God's word. So Paul warned the elders to protect the flock. That is what Pastor Steve is doing for us as he preaches through this series taken from Acts chapter 20, verses 31 through 32. If you're not able to listen to the entire program today, I'd invite you to check out versebyverseradio.org. Click on the radio tab where you will find podcasts of all the messages in this series. Now, though, it's time to hear from Pastor Steve. This is the situation that Paul has told the elders that their church would soon be facing, an infiltration of false teachers who are out to tear the flock by dragging some of them off into cults, into false religious systems and heretical circles. And that's why it's so important for these men, these elders, to take their pastoral responsibilities seriously by making sure that they protect the flock from these predators. And how are they supposed to do this? Well, that's what Paul proceeds to tell them. He moves on to tell them about a third pastoral responsibility in addition to paying attention to their own lives in addition to shepherding all the flock, the apostle now tells them that they are to be on the alert for false teachers. Verse 31, therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Now, Paul addresses the problem of false 
teachers impacting the members of this church by telling these elders that they are to be on the alert. He says, therefore, here's what you do, be on the alert. So what does that actually mean? Well, the word that's translated alert simply means to stay awake, to not sleep. Now, obviously, Paul isn't speaking in physical terms. He's not telling them to stay awake all night, to never get six to eight hours of sleep or whatever, but rather he's talking in a figurative sense. He wants these elders to understand that they must be mentally and spiritually alert to the dangers of false teachers who might harm the sheep that they've been entrusted to protect beyond the alert for that. In other words, they must be vigilant. They must be always on their toes. They must always be watchful and and alert in guarding the sheep from spiritual predators, namely the false teachers. This is very serious, and it's a very critically important part of being an elder because false teachers do pose such a dangerous threat to Christians. And you know what? It's worse today than it was in the Apostle Paul's day. And it's worse today because modern technology makes false teachers and their heresies easily accessible. Anybody can watch them. Anybody can listen to them. Anybody can read their books. So through television, books, and the internet, believers in Christ are exposed to so many false teachers who just were not available to Christians in previous generations. And sadly, many individuals, even Christians, find false teachers and their teaching very appealing. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why false teachers can be so attractive to people. Why? Note this. It's because they appeal to fleshly desires. That's their appeal. See, false teachers tend to offer people a religion in which they can do, frankly, whatever they want to do, even sexual misconduct. Notice some of the things Peter says about false teachers in his second letter, which is all about false teaching and false teachers. In 2 Peter 2, verse 2, we read this, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Now, first of all, Peter describes false teachers as being popular in the sense they have many followers. He says, many will follow. And why are these men so popular? What is it about their teaching that attracts so many people? Well, Peter says that many will follow their sensuality, meaning that these false teachers not only tend to practice sexual immorality themselves, but they teach immorality as an acceptable lifestyle to their devotees. That is to say, they put no moral restraints on themselves or their followers, and many find that very appealing. Why? Because they want a religious system where they can do whatever they want to do without anybody judging them, without anybody saying, that's wrong, stop that. Here are the guidelines for morality. This is where you stay. They don't want that. They don't want that. In addition, we read in 2 Peter 2.10, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring self-will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Now, Peter says that false teachers, in addition to indulging in fleshly desires, he said they also despise authority. Nobody's going to tell them what to do, even to the point where they rebuke 
angels because they're self-willed and they are in submission to no authority. They are their own authority. In other words, no one's going to tell them what to do, how to live. They're their own bosses. Notice what else Peter says about false teachers. In 2 Peter 2, 18 and 19, he says, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity... They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Now, Peter says that false teachers, they attract unsuspecting individuals by enticing them with arrogant words, puffed up words that are intended to impress and to lure them to join their religion that puts no restraints on sexual misconduct. He says that although they promise their followers freedom, they can't deliver on this promise. It's impossible because they themselves are slaves to their own corrupt natures and those who follow them become slaves as well. They don't have a message of freedom. It's a message of slavery. Concerning just how dangerous these false teachers are with their impressive sounding words, John MacArthur in his notes in his own study Bible writes this about Peter's description of these evil men. He said, the false teachers deceive the weak with high-sounding words that masquerade as scholarship or profound spiritual insight and even as direct revelation from God. In reality, they say nothing genuinely scholarly or spiritual or divine. Nevertheless, in spite of all the empty talk, false teachers entice others to their philosophies by appealing to people on the baser level. Seduction, rather than the winsomeness of truth, is their ploy. They offer people a kind of religion that they can embrace and still hold on to their fleshly desires and sensuality. And so what kind of people are most vulnerable? What kind of people are most susceptible to false teachers? Those who would be lured in by impressive sounding words? Well, MacArthur continues and writes this. People who are vulnerable because they have high levels of guilt and anxieties, people with broken marriages, people who are lonely and tired of the consequences of sin and are looking for a new start, even for religion or help from God. The false teachers exploit these kinds of people. Now, if you want to get some understanding, a little taste of how dangerous false teachers are today, and you need to do what Michelle and I did recently, you need to watch the documentary entitled American Gospel. In this documentary, you will see men who teach in the health, wealth, and prosperity movement, the faith movement, gospel, the word of faith, gospel movement. And these men are listened to and they're watched by thousands of people weekly. And I want you to know, they're not just a little off on healing, a little bit off on finances, money matters. They're outright heretics, Outright heretics who teach blasphemous things about God, about Jesus, about salvation. For example, here are some quotes from two of the most well-known word of faith preachers, Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn. First, here's a couple of quotes from Kenneth Copeland, and I'm just, I'm just quoting. I'm not making this up. I'm not paraphrasing. I'm just quoting. And if there's some bad grammar in here, it's not my fault. I just want you to know. 
Copeland says, on the cross, Jesus won the right for believers to be born again back into the God class. Adam was created not subordinate to God, but as a God. He lost it, and in Christ we're taken back to the God class. He's saying, we've become gods. Again, Kenneth Copeland, I say this with all respect so that it don't upset you too bad, but I say it anyway. When I read in the Bible where he, Jesus, says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. Now, folks, this is the height of blasphemy to say that man is somehow God and that anyone but God Almighty is the great I am. Horrible, horrible stuff. This is not just a guy who's a little off. This is an unregenerate false teacher. There's no true Bible-believing Christian who's ever saying that. Here's another quote. It's from Benny Hinn, another false teacher in the Word of Faith movement, who said these blasphemous words. When you say I'm saved, what are you saying? You're saying I'm a Christian. What does that word mean? means that I am anointed. Do you know what anointed means? It means Christ. When you say I'm a Christian, you're saying I'm a little Messiah, walking on the earth, in other words. That's a shocking revelation. The new creation is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. The new man is after God, like God, God like complete in Christ Jesus. The new creation is just like God. May I say it like this? He says, you are a little God on earth running around. Now, folks, both of these men are saying pretty much the same lie that Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden, that she and Adam could be like God, having all the knowledge of God, good and evil. But these men actually go beyond that. They're saying that, but they go beyond that, beyond what Satan told Eve, because they both teach that a human being can be not just like God, they teach God themselves, that humans can be God themselves, the great I am, I can be like that, I am that, horrible, listen, men like these are popular, and they're dangerous, and they're coming after you, and that's why Paul is so adamant about commanding the Ephesian elders to be on the alert in order to protect God's people from false teachers who would lure them into their heretical circles, But specifically, how are they to protect unsuspecting sheep? How do they do this? Well, look again at verse 31 and notice what else Paul says. He says, therefore, be on the alert. Okay. And then he adds, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul reminds these men that during the three years he was with them in Ephesus, he continuously warned the members of the church about false teachers. He said, I did it night and day, 24-7. And he did it, he says, with tears of concern because he knew how dangerous these savage wolves were and how capable they were of harming the precious flock. That's exactly what elders need to do today. They have to continuously be on the alert for false teachers who their people might be listening to, might be watching, might be reading, and they need to be continuously warning them against the errors of these heretics. And that means that they must be vigilant in watching out for the welfare of the sheep. They need to be aware of who their people are learning from need to be aware of the specific errors of false teachers. They need to be aware of what Scripture says in order to refute such false teaching. 
This is why one of the qualifications for being an elder is to be so proficient in understanding scripture that when faced with a wolf threatening one of the sheep, an elder will be able to stand up and faithfully teach the truth and be able to refute that error. Here's what Paul wrote in Titus chapter 1 verse 9. This is part of the qualifications for being an elder. Paul said he must be holding fast. He's gripping. He's holding on to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. He's not letting go of the word of God. That's his authority. He's holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine, and to refute those who contradict. He's saying elders must be able to explain, to be able to sit down with believers and explain to them what the Bible actually teaches, and then they are to be able to refute error being told to them by a false teacher. Here's what the Bible says. Here's why this is wrong. Now, by necessity, I want you to know that one has to be negative. At this point, one has to publicly name and identify false teachers. You cannot be general in this area because if you speak in generalities without being specific, you've helped nobody. You are warning the sheep against this man, against this man, against this teaching, against that teaching. So false teachers need to be classified as false teachers so that believers will be warned and will not listen to them. As I said, generalities won't cut it. You have to be specific. This is exactly what Paul did. He named names. And he did it several times in 1 Timothy 1.18 through 20. And I read this last week, but it also needs to be reiterated today. He said, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. I take it that these two men he's mentioned here, Hymenaeus and Alexander, apparently were elders at some point in this church who stuck around and they're teaching error. And Paul names them. He calls them out. Again, the apostle did the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He said, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Just avoid that, Timothy, and their talk will spread like gangrene. It never stays status quo. It always spreads and infects others. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. This guy Hymenaeus is in big trouble. When you're mentioned twice, you're in big trouble. So I say to my fellow elders, for the sake of the sheep, don't hesitate to warn our people of the dangers of false teachers by identifying them and their heresies. We don't have a positive message in that sense. We have to be negative. And by false teachers, I mean those who deny, note this, those who deny the non-negotiable core beliefs of Christianity and the gospel. I'm not talking about minor differences on secondary matters like prophecy or or the mode of baptism. Nothing like that. You see, you can spot a false teacher because they're wrong about such essential biblical truths as, for example, the sinfulness of man. They're always off on that. 
Man is not a sinner, they would say. Man is basically good. Man is not really corrupt. Also, they're off on the deity of Christ. They're going to distort or deny that he's God or that he's fully man. They're going to be wrong on the atoning work of Christ, his sacrificial death on the cross. They're going to be wrong about the Trinity, the Godhead. They're going to be wrong about the holiness of God. They're going to be wrong about the inspiration and the authority and the sufficiency of the scriptures. They're going to be wrong, especially about justification by faith alone. They're always going to add something to faith. So these are the core beliefs of our faith that false teachers either deny outright or they twist and distort. And so anyone who espouses these errors is a false teacher. And we must warn believers to avoid them. This warning has to be more than an academic exercise. Because when Paul said that he did this while he was with them, night and day he said he wept tears of concern. There is passion here. This is not academic. This is not a cold heart doing this. Paul wept tears of concern because he knew how dangerous and damaging heresy was. And notice that Paul said that he admonished each one with tears, which means that he cared about the spiritual welfare of every single member of this church. Therefore, he made sure that they all knew, not just a few, but all knew about false teachers and their teaching. I want to urge all who are elders at Lakeside, and once again, including myself, to be vigilant in this task of protecting the sheep from false teachers. God has called you to be a watchman, to warn the sheep about those who would prey upon them and harm them concerning the importance of being watchful and alert about false teachers. Charles Jefferson, in his classic book for pastors, written many years ago, entitled The Minister or Shepherd, he wrote these words. Many a minister fails as a pastor because he's not vigilant. He allows his church to be torn to pieces because he's half asleep. He took for granted that there were no wolves, no birds of prey, no robbers. And while he was drowsing, the enemy arrived. False ideas, destructive interpretations, demoralizing teachings came into his group and he never knew it. He was interested perhaps in literary research. He was absorbed in the discussion contained in the last theological quarterly and did not know what his young people were reading or what strange thoughts had been lodged in the heads of a group of his leading members. These are errors which are as fierce as wolves and pitiless as hyenas. They tear faith and hope and love to pieces and leave churches once prosperous, mangled and half dead. Folks, this is the reason why God has established local churches with elders over you to protect you. It's important that you are under their Authority. It's important that you're members of the church. This is God's way of protecting his flock. Elders have been given the responsibility of being alert for false teachers. But now, having told these men about three responsibilities they have as elders, Paul moves on to give them a fourth pastoral responsibility, which is that they must depend on God and his word. Verse 32. He said, and now... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, this is a very interesting statement by Paul. And it's interesting. Why? Because at first glance, it's not easy to see any God-given responsibilities here 
for elders. In fact, there isn't even a command in this verse given by Paul to these elders, just a statement of fact. And his statement of fact is that he has entrusted them to God and to his word specifically, the message of the gospel of grace, which is the message of salvation. So what's the point of this verse? Listen closely. I am sorry we had to stop right there before we could hear more about this fourth responsibility that the Apostle Paul gave to the Ephesian elders. Actually, we stopped there so that you would be extremely curious and come back for the next verse-by-verse program so that you could find out what Paul had to say. I'm hopeful that you will be intensely curious to hear more. You've been listening to a series called A Faithful Shepherd Says Farewell by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Even though this series is based on Paul's instructions to the Ephesian elders, there are many applications we can make to our lives, whether we are pastors or not. I would like to encourage you to join us on the next verse-by-verse program as we continue to explore this fourth responsibility that Paul gave in Acts chapter 20.